And welcome back, everybody, to the Freaking Awesome Podcast, and this is episode 42. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> Let's kill that bass head. Let's do this. I'm on the air, we on the air, we got this pockets flow. It's me and Tony on the mics, we gotta let you know. Of current events, little gaming, sprinkling some entertainment. We stay humble, but our mom still thinks we're famous. Turn up the bass and baby, maybe let that magic flow. Our spoken word is all the things you really wanna know. Having a good time on the show, T-Bows and Maddie G. Tune in and hit subscribe and join us on the FAP. Welcome everybody to the Freaking Awesome Podcast. I'm your host Anthony Bose, and virtually sitting across me is our birthday boy, Matty G. Hey, hey! Happy birthday, brother! Thanks, man. Thanks. Uh, I'm the big thirty-three, oh getting my old. God, you're you're still ten years behind me. You really make me. You really make me feel old, man. <laughs> it's like looking you at look, you. <laughs> you look good. You look good. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, did you? Do you have a good day so far? Yeah, so far so good, man. Um, feeling the love for sure. Uh, lots of folks have uh, dropped me messages and phone calls and Facebook and all that good stuff. So I'm, I'm definitely feeling the love today. Well, if we're going to make your day any better, uh, we have our an extra special guest today is a legend in the business. Uh, we've got art director, production designer, uh, a director, an all around amazing gentleman, uh, Joe Alves. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. Excellent. Yeah, it's... Uh... It's not as hot as it was yesterday uh, here, so it's very relaxing. What's your temperature like? Well, right now it's uh, probably high 70s, but oh. we went through a period uh, the last few last week where we're up into the hundreds. Wow. Uh, actually, oh, wow. 100 in the high 90s, and it's cooled off now to the normal temperature this time of year. Here it's in the mid seventies to sometimes low eighties. That beautiful time of the year. I, you know what? We're yeah, totally yeah, jealous. Uh, we haven't actually gotten over sixteen degrees Celsius yet. Uh, wow. So that's that's very low. We're looking talking like your thirties. So uh, yeah, that's still pretty a cold. cool. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, you know to, to us that's that's a warm day. Uh, I mean now it's not a hot day. We we get up into the into the thirties. So uh, we we do get up there in the summers. But uh, right now we're we're still waiting for that beautiful weather. Mother Nature's been sure. kind of screwing with us and throwing snow every once in a while, which is a little uh, Yeah, that's been weird. Yeah, It'll totally be, weird. like, perfectly sunny, and, like, one day you're wearing shorts, and the next day you're yeah. literally, you can't even go outside. Yeah. <laughs> Real inconsistent. Yeah. yeah, New York had snow, what, a couple of days ago, and before that, it was hot. People were, sure. uh, you know. Anyway. Yeah, New York's actually really close to us, so it's 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 pretty pretty similar weather. Mm-hmm. You know, it really goes to my theory that uh, I, I think with other, everybody having been locked inside and, and uh, you know, emissions are on a low because people aren't driving as much as normal is we, we've actually let the world cool down. We, we've That global warming is coming down and now we're actually getting proper Canadian weather, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, yeah. Nobody's yeah. driving anywhere. Everybody's at home. Yeah. Yeah, so Mother Nature's taking a big, deep breath and, and taking a crap on us. So. <laughs> oh, well, Matty G, how about we get into the news? Yeah, absolutely. I've got some funny ones, um, short and sweet. So um, this was one that caught my eye here, uh, a little bit of Canadian and American news. So a U.S. man asks a uh, Sioux border guard to sell him weed. Um <laughs> So okay. a man from Grand Rapids, Michigan, is facing impaired driving charges after he showed up at the Canada-U.S. border on Monday evening and asked a border guard to sell him weed. The 29-year-old man allegedly admitted he had marijuana on him, and the border guard suspected he was impaired. 
Members of the Sault Ste. Marie Police Service were called at 7 p.m. Officers then headed into the Canadian Border Service Agency uh, building to deal with the man. Uh, it is alleged that the accused drove his vehicle onto an inspection lane, declared he had marijuana on him, and asked the border security officer if he could buy marijuana from them. Um, upon arrival, Sioux police officers took the uh, accused man into custody and transported him to the police services building. The accused was given a drug recognition evaluation, and he performed poorly. He was charged with impaired driving and is scheduled to appear in court on July 6th. <laughs> Not too smart, huh? I feel like that guy had more than pot in his system. (laughs) You would have to. Um, I mean, first of all, to show up with your own weed, and and, uh, but then to be like, I'd like to buy more weed from you guys. (laughs) Now, you're not 100% wrong. You know, we're, 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 Canada is good with this stuff, right? But you're, you're really asking the wrong people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's 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 going to go up on the uh, the Bonehead uh, Awards for uh, poor crimes. Yeah. Now, uh, my article today is I, I think might actually trump that one. This one is a short and sweet, uh, but uh, we basically had the um, the headlines about uh, a driver trying to bait another driver into a street race. The twist to this was that the other driver was a cop. <laughs> Oh, that's smart. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And this is uh, from our, our beautiful friends down in Florida. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and street racing isn't for everybody. And let's be honest, it's not the most legal and or safe thing to do. But um, Connor Michael Prolikia, uh, who's 20 years old, was charged with racing on the highway after he tried to challenge a Clearwater police officer to a Fast and Furious-like competition. Um, oh, good. The, the, the police, was the uh, car unmarked, Tony? Um, uh, yes, it was. Okay, okay, I like uh, it. Yeah, so the police was basically seeing uh, driving uh, on the... Ca- uh, sorry, the, the police said that the, the gentleman, uh, Prolikia, was driving east on the Courtney Campbell Causeway at 2 a.m. when he pulled alongside the officer and started revving his engine in an attempt to bait him into the race, um, at which point uh, he he sped off and uh, was actually going quite fast. I think he got up to, um, I think it was 120 miles an hour. Oh jeez! And really? uh, yeah, and basically the the police eventually did pull him over. Uh, when they did, his excuse was, I, "I was just trying to go fast. I didn't know I was. It was against a police officer." <laughs> so <laughs> dumb, right? Uh, so he had like the the lamest excuse, and then on top of that, he's uh, basically uh, he was arrested. He's been held on bail for uh, with a ten thousand dollar bond. Um, I don't know what to say, kid. Like, first of all, <laughs> if you're stu- yeah, if you're stupid enough to do it, make sure it's not a cop. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if the cop had of if he had a revved his engine as well. If that would have been entrapment. I would imagine it would. Yeah, I would. Right? I would imagine that would be a form of entrapment. But you know what? Who, who's to say, right? I mean, who's to say if he was just revving his engine or if he just. Uh, you know, was uh, not uh, pushing uh, the brake as hard. So, <laughs> it's all hearsay, and I think it's at, at that point it would, they would go. It would go in uh, the police officer's favor. So, That's funny. <laughs> because you remember, like they of course have dash cams, right? So they're watching this guy speed off past him. So, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I yeah. bet you that guy face palms so hard when he got <laughs> yeah. pulled over. Well, let's just say his mugshot isn't very impressed. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. All, all right. right. What well, else you got? I'll uh, I'll pop into my next one here. Uh, this one's really short, but it's actually really funny when I came across it. So 
Um, up here, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but all of our casinos have been closed um, mm-hmm. for the Social Distancing Act. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> funny enough, um, so this website uh, has opened up, and basically the, you're able to gamble online um, for porn stars playing ping pong. <laughs> and <laughs> so... This is like, and apparently there's thousands upon thousands of people that are pouring onto this this site to watch this event. So tonight at 6:30, it kicks off. It's a tournament, and uh, you can go on and uh, basically bet on porn stars playing ping pong, which is hilarious. So I guess my big question is, do the porn stars have clothes, or is this naked ping pong? I, you know what, I tried to find more sources, and it wouldn't say. Because I, so. I feel like there would be a disadvantage. Probably both for men and women on that, right? <laughs> on focus, right? <laughs> That's right. You know, the, the, the guys get uh, distracted and, and uh, it, you know, the, the, because of the table, it's at about crotch level. So if you ever have to reach into a ball, you're, you're pretty, it's pretty dangerous, especially if you're at the corner of the table. Yeah. And if they're naked, it'd be like, they were playing ping pong? <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, it's true. Uh... That's funny. All right, so I got this one was absolutely hilarious when i saw this one i i honestly uh, couldn't believe it was real and and i really had to do uh some some digging into this one because uh it was actually so funny that um i i almost thought it had to be a joke the the headline on this one was man steals wine from the wine truck driving down the highway and i thought okay that's no big deal like someone just jacked a truck right Mm-hmm. Um, well, in this particular case, it wasn't the the regular uh, hijacking that you would anticipated. Uh, you know, it, it basically reads: uh, If you like wine, you're going to love this one. Uh, even if you don't, there's nothing wrong with uh, an early morning booze story. Uh, this guy didn't ha- hijack the truck, but yet climbed aboard to get a sip while it was running. <laughs> so what? Gabriel Marino jumped onto a moving tanker truck carrying a bulk red wine. And then under the belly, or went under the belly to unscrew the valve, and then drank the wine as the truck traveled up Highway 99. Oh my god! <laughs> so to further into this, um, you know, Marina was caught uh, basically on video. There's there's video footage of this guy doing it, uh, where he he climbed aboard a Cherokee Freightlines tanker truck, and um, what happened originally is he he had pulled off to the side of the road and put on his hazard lights and uh, was basically directing the truck to the side of the road. The trucker pulls over thinking that there might be a mechanical issue or there was uh, maybe some reason why he was being flagged down. Then the video shows Marino not uh, like basically only in his underwear running to the passenger side of the <laughs> of the truck. Now, at this point, the trucker's like, OK, there's nothing wrong. This is just weird. So he pulls back onto the road. But without shirt, shoes or anything, he's riding on the side of the tanker in his underwear <laughs> and then climbs <laughs> under the truck as it basically hits the freeway. So now it's traveling up to like 80 miles an hour, and this guy's under the truck, <laughs> holding on his underpants, releasing the the valve as the wine just basically pours into his mouth and all <laughs> over the place. Hilarious. Now the trucker, of course, realizes that that the tanker's starting to lose fluids, and mm. um, he basically calls in saying like he's losing liters of of liquids and he's gonna have to pull over. So. <laughs> when they basically pull over, they had uh, they had basically said that um, 
they they found him underneath holding on covered in stained in red wine <laughs> and and the uh, the truck had lost over a thousand gallons of the product which spilled all over the the highway so it was enough to fill about 5000 bottles of wine Oh, wow. oh my gosh! You know how much that would have been if it was a decent wine, <laughs> right? Ah, <laughs> uh, so I it just blew my mind. I thought this guy's got to go up like in the hall of fame of risky things for stupid things. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's really funny. Absurd. I love that one. Absurd. Yeah, that that almost <laughs> should go in like a comedy. So right. Yep. <laughs> All right. You said you had another quick one. Yeah, I had one last one. All right. Um. So. Um, go in Canada, we only really have like five big banks where I know in America, you guys have tons and tons. Um, so this one's pretty, yeah, well, we only have like really like five big ones. And so when they make something that creates a blunder, um, it's, 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 it's pretty widely uh, known. So, um, CIBC, it's actually the bank that I, I bank with. Um, they, uh, they, they basically, discontinued one of their customer service telephone lines um, and another company grabbed it before CIBC had taken it off the website and it led to an adult party line. (laughs) So basically what was happening was people were calling in about their mortgages and going straight to an American sex line. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Anyways, I don't know if the uh, I'm throwing out the number because I if you want to try it, I don't know if it still works. But it's one eight hundred six six three four six five three. So if you're <laughs> listening to this, uh, give it a shot and see if it's still up. But uh, yeah, follow up and I let thought... us know. <laughs> That's good. That's crazy. Um, yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah, you know. Okay, speaking of customer service, uh, I had um, I heard on the the news basically a um, because of the whole COVID thing. Uh, Costco's uh, down in the States. I don't know about uh, so much up here because I haven't been to a Costco in quite some time, but uh, they're making face masks a mandatory thing. So when you come in, you have to put a face mask on. Well, uh, one... Some some states. I don't think all the states. Okay, so some of the states. So one patron, of course, went in and they said you have to put on a mask and they were like, no, I don't have to put on the mask. That's your rule. It's not mine. I pay a membership. I can come in. So they turned them away. And that customer was so outraged, they went on to Twitter and uh, said how poor customer service it was and how um, it, it's their right not to, to choose not to take a mask and uh, that they will uh, exercise their right to uh, ask for a refund on their membership. Now, Costco saw this and replied back and they said, well, we will exercise our right to deny your claim to return your membership. <laughs> <laughs> So I thought it was really good for Costco instead of just being like the customer's right to uh, kind of stick it back to them and be like, stop being an idiot, right? Put on the mask. We've had some people pretty violent here that uh, at stores, they don't want to wear masks and they've physically had to carry them out, you know. Oh, you know, I, I understand it is a right not to if you want to, to, you know, roll the dice and see if you contract it, then that's fine. But don't put other people at risk. And, and that's, yeah, right. that's what yeah. people don't see. It's like put on the mask for other people, because if you do have it, other people don't want it. So but that's no different. Like, that's no different than saying, like, I respect your right to speed on the highway. Right. There's rules in place for a reason is to protect others. Yeah. Yeah. And, and speed so, limits. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. 
Yeah, so that that's crazy. But I mean, I, I, I say kudos to Costco to not just accept it and, and be political about it and just say, no, yeah. forget it. Well, we've had 85,000 people die in this in the U.S. You know, that's a lot of people. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Our numbers haven't nearly been as high up in Canada, but uh, it's still... No, I mean, that's like almost twice the Vietnam War. Yeah. And that took six, seven years. You mm-hmm. know? So for all that to happen in a matter of months is uh, is pretty crazy. It is. Yeah. You know, so... But people want to get back because, and they need work. You know, the, the, the economy here is terrible now. It's true. Yeah. It, it's, an, it's, it, it's a crazy thing. It's really, really a very unfortunate uh, virus. Yeah. You know. Well, nobody could see it coming, right? With the amount of technology we had today, I mean, who's to say that, uh, you know, we'd have to worry about such things as, as pandemics, you know? It, uh... Well, there, there were a few. Yeah. There were a few uh, scientists that said this was coming, and mm. there were some warnings, uh, and uh, they were ignored because, you know, they're bad <laughs> warnings. Yeah. It's bad for business. <laughs> and then it gets pol- political. It gets very political here. For sure. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. But on the on the brighter side of things, um, Joe, let's let's talk about you today. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's going to be brighter. <laughs> yeah. All right. It's always bright for <laughs> us. I, I mean, so yeah. as um, you know, someone who who grew up in the uh, the generation of uh, some of the the movies that you've worked on, uh, you know, iconic things like uh, Jaws uh, and all of the Jaws at that. Um, to uh, for to to basically speak to someone who who was the the brains behind creating the shark, and um, and we were kind of chatting before the the show started and how you were saying sculpting was uh, was something that you enjoyed doing and and that you kind of sculpted a, an original model of the shark before Jaws kind of came to life. Yeah, well that that was the evolution of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but briefly talking about my period of time. In the uh, movie business, because I started in, in the 50s, mm-hmm. you have to realize it was uh, the studio system uh, where you had like seven major studios, Warner Brothers, Paramount, MGM, Universal, Columbia, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So when you got a job in, in my area, you started off as a junior set designer or a junior illustrator. And then if you were fortunate after so many years to become assistant art director and then an art director, but you were working under the studio system. There wasn't really an independent thing. Okay. So uh, when I, Jaws was presented to me, I was a, a, a studio art director and I was doing whatever they told me to do. Uh, I Probably the biggest thing I did was a night gallery. I did three seasons of night gallery, mm-hmm. Rod Serling. So... Uh, you're there, and whatever they present, you do. A small movie, the more experienced, older guys did bigger movies. And so that's sort of the ground where I was fortunate to work as an assistant with Alfred Hitchcock, a picture called Torn Curtain, and then so you just go that way. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but on Jaws, it was quite different because normally what happens is there's a script. They give it to a director and a producer, and then they they go and they find somebody in the art department uh, that they've worked with, mm-hmm. and then you you proceed on that way, breaking down the script and and scouting locations and making the movie. Yeah. With Jaws, it was totally different. 
and this is very unusual. Uh, and I'll give you. A, I'll try to do it briefly. Uh, I was doing a television movie. Uh, I can't remember the name. Uh, but anyway, it was uh, a lot of locations. So I just checked out the set in the morning, and I go back to the office. I get a call from David Brown. Uh, David Brown, Zanuck and Brown were huge producers. They did Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, mm-hmm. Sting, all this. I did a small movie with him with a young director called Steven Spielberg called uh, Sugarland Express. Yes. And pretty much a road picture. So David called me, and, and he, he said, my wife, Helen Gully Brown, who was the editor of Cosmopolitan Magazine at the time, she said she, she just read this uh, galley sheets of this book called Jaws, and she thinks it might make a pretty good movie. So David said they didn't have a charge number. It, was, it wasn't even involved with the studio. But he called me on a personal thing and said, Joe, if I send you the galley sheets, could you go through the galley and do illustrations, key uh, shark activities? You know, there were about 30 in the book. Okay. And uh, so I talked to my head of the department, and uh, he knew Zanuck and Brown were a big guy. He said, Joe, just do it. Don't tell anybody. You, you're going to get charged for doing the television movie. So, so basically, I did... Uh, about 30 uh, 11 by 16 charcoal drawings of the shark. And uh, in fact, I, I sell copies of those on my website, still have them. Anyway, um, so that's how that started. Now, Stephen wasn't on the movie. Uh, they were talking to some other guy about doing the movie, if they were going to do the movie, but he kept calling it a whale and they didn't like him. So I would go over to Stephen's, he had a cabana there, and I'd say, boy, you know these... I think you do, you know, you'd like to do this movie. It'd be great if you did it and blah, blah, blah. And he said, I think, you know, I'm trying to do a pirate movie, but I haven't heard about this yet. So, but he said this, this is important. He said, Joe, if we do do this and we build a shark, you know, a big shark, we should do it out in the ocean and not in a phony tank with a painted backdrop. I said, absolutely. You know, so basically that's how it started. And then there was a meeting. Uh, Marshall Green was the head of production of Universal. Mm-hmm. And he called for a meeting. I remember exactly how it down October 3rd, 1973. And they had all the department heads. Head of, uh, uh, you know, editing, head of photography, art direction, special effects. And then at that time, Stephen was being brought on. But there still was no commitment to make the movie from the studio's point of view. So basically, uh, I did my little spiel and explained how the shark would do this and blah, blah, blah. And Marshall Marshall liked the idea because he lived on a boat and he liked this water picture. And so he turned to the effects people and... um, he said, you know, can you do this? And they said, no, no, we can't make a shark. Nobody's ever made a big shark that goes out in the ocean. I mean, you know, uh, besides, we've got bigger movies to do. We've got the Hindenburg. And uh, Marshall got upset and said Jaws could be a bigger picture than the Hindenburg. And everybody laughed. Of course, the shark movie's not going to be bigger than the Hindenburg. 
And and basically, the meeting ended. I sort of collected my jar. I started to walk out, and Marshall said, "Joe, can you get the shark mate?" And I said, "Well, you know, I'm an ambitious young guy. Yeah, I'll certainly try." He says, "Well, take it off a lot. Don't do it on the lot." And that was really never really done much. Everything was done in house. Mm-hmm. So basically, that's how it started. And then I got a team and so forth. So. That's crazy. That I mean, to think about the amount of uh, things that you had to overcome to to put it in the ocean, um, you know, oh. the, the wear and tear that it would happen on the shark, but also something to be able to keep it steady. Let, and to Let me tell it. you the wear and tear is, first of all, <coughs> we have, <coughs> excuse me, salt water. Yeah. <coughs> salt water and electronics yeah. don't, don't like each other. Nope. <laughs> no. Nope. They don't know that water wants to get into those electronic things. So uh, basically, I have to say this. Everybody, uh, when I started looking to make this shark, I, <clears throat> I started making that four-foot model. I got an ecologist to find out what a cocardum carcarias really was and how they moved and all that and what size it should be. <clears throat> the biggest that they've ever found was 20 feet. We thought it would make it 25 feet. Anyway, <clears throat> but everybody at Disney said they could make it, but they wouldn't take it to the ocean. Uh, Joe Lombardi, who did The Godfather, he said, Joe, I, I don't know, I can't do it now, but it would take a year, a year and a half to make it. Everybody told me it would take a year, year and a half to, to make it mm-hmm. um, and to test it to see how it would work in the water. So basically, when we started, I got Bob Matty, finally, who had done the uh, giant squid and 20,000 leagues under the sea, and I put together a team, really, you know, people that knew, like Roy Arbrecht, knew all the new plastics and stuff for the skin and electronics and stuff. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway, so that would be probably end of uh, uh, 73, probably November we would start uh, getting a place to start building the shark and taking my four-foot shark and making it 25 feet. Um, When the book came out, are you guys there? Did I lose you? No, we're here. No, it was here. Okay, I heard a buzzing. When the book came out in February 74, it was such a big hit. The studio said, we got to start shooting this movie in two two months. Wow. And... I said, wait a minute, where's my year, year and a half to make the shark? Mm-hmm. No, no, we got to start making this. And Stephen talked him into another month, so instead of April, May, they wanted to. And I'm thinking, well, how the heck are we going to get the shark? You know, we need <laughs> Garbage three can sharks. Garbage six bags. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yep. it, it was just uh, absurd. So basically, we had three sharks, one that were, two that were towed 300 feet away, Went for run bys, and and then they they had uh, a left to right, right to left, and the opposite side was open, so you'd see all the mechanics. Okay. Uh, uh, so that's why you, we had to have the finished side so we could get into it. And then we had a, uh, a shark on a big barge, which had a, uh, a like a track and a big crane, so we could sink it and we could like fall on a boat or buy somebody or do whatever. We had more control of that one. So three sharks we had to make. Mm-hmm. And uh, so virtually we shot everything walk and talk without sharks. 
And uh, because we we would test it, and I would tell Stephen, if it works, Stephen, with left to right to shoot it. If it doesn't, it's a test. That's basically we got the bad reputation that uh, the shark didn't work, you know. Wow, that's uh, to, you know to, to have to create a shark or even one shark in that short short amount of time, but to have to create three basically, yeah, uh, yeah, that's, yeah that's... that's really putting it under the like under the gun kind of as they say. Um, and, and then I get a lot of critics. You know, they think they know more about what happened. Uh, yeah. And then we use the barrels a lot. And in my original sketches from the book, there were barrels because that's what you attach when you shoot a harpoon. And there's a barrel that keeps track of the, the shark. Mm-hmm. We used the barrels. I painted them yellow so they would be in contrast to the blue ocean. Uh, when the, the barrel pops up, you know the shark's there. Mm-hmm. So it was more of a Hitchcock kind of thing, you know, because critics would say, oh, we used the barrels because the shark wasn't ready. Stephen didn't really want to overuse the shark. Do you understand? Yeah, to make sure. it more mm-hmm. mysterious. Mm-hmm. Uh, where... Today they do shark things and they show sharks or dozens of them. He, I think he was so smart, and for a young guy, to have it basically three guys out at sea, and uh, and they all were different. You know the old crusty mm-hmm. uh, uh, fisherman, and then the smartass uh, ichthyologist, and then the cop who didn't want to be on the water at all, yep. and then you've got this monster out there and. See, and I just think the movie really worked because of the relationship between those guys mm-hmm. and this thing out there, you know. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, unlike a lot of movies nowadays, um, you know, at that time, they, they were really working off the kind of like the, the unseen horror, like everything was brought up by music and that tone was set and the suspense would happen and then maybe nothing would happen. And then all of a sudden it would spring out at you. And um, yeah. and nowadays, because people just CG it, and, and once they have a CG oh. model made, it's not, you know, they don't have to worry about overusing something. They, they just plop it into the scene and, and let it do its thing. Um, so it's... Uh, I think, C- 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 yeah, C- CG, uh, well, when I first started using it, let's say 20 years ago, um, they overused it, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead of having 300 Indians on the mountain going after the cavalry, they had 300,000, you know. Yeah. And and now I think they're getting a little bit better about it by restricting it, you know. For but sure. uh, it, it did change the whole mm-hmm. complexion of uh, movie making. So, so exactly how was the shark controlled? Oh, well, electronically, uh, it, it was... Uh, you had uh, big rams that would open and close the mouth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then you had all this electronic uh, gear inside the shark. So then there were all cables over to a, a barge uh, where the, the, the shark, uh, the, the special effects guys would handle it, and they could open and close the mouth. Yeah. Uh, when it was being towed, they towed it from another boat, and they could control uh, the way the uh, it was interesting because I did some tests mm-hmm. with the shark swimming, yeah. okay. and I was uh, looking at that with our editor uh, uh, Vernon Fields, who won the Academy Award for editing jaws, and they had Ron and Valerie Taylor, who had uh, from uh, Australia, who shot some footage for us of real sharks, uh, and uh, I was talking 
Valerie, and she's looked at our test. And she said, Joe, you don't have to move the shark as much as you're moving it. They swim, you know, they just sort of swagger in, or then they attack. So it, it really helped, because that way I didn't have to wag the tail so much, because a big white shark doesn't do that. It just sort of floats up on you, you know, and then mm-hmm. moves, you know. That's amazing. So I, the other question I have, of course, and I think a lot of people want to know this, is, is does Jaws still exist? Is he still around? Like, is the actual model or the... the yeah, let me tell you about that. Uh what happened was this. Uh, when we got back from the studio, from this location, mm-hmm. we were over budget, over schedule. And uh, I ended up, Stephen left early. I, I ended up directing a sequence, a small sequence. He asked me, me to do with the shark, taking the kid off the raft. When we got back, we were not heroes. We, They were so upset with us, over budget, over schedule, this dumb shark movie is not going to do anything. And they threw the sharks in the back lot and let them rot. Okay. And then they sold the boat. They sold the orca, which was uh, something we had built. We built two of them, one to sink and give it real character. Mm -hmm. So they just threw it jaws. Well, then the movie came out. And uh, they didn't have anything for the tours. So they took the original mold and they made a big fiberglass shark and they hung it up uh, by its tail and people took pictures in front of it. And that they did that for a, a number of years until they made the shark ride uh, for the, uh, you know, uh, for the Universal Tour thing. Yep. Okay. Then that, that particular shark disappeared. And it ended up in this big, uh, it's not a, it's a car lot, but it, they sell, they have used cars, but, but you, it's for parts. You go there and you could buy fenders and stuff from if your car is there and stuff like that. But anyway, okay. the guy put it up on a pole and it was there for years. And then I got a call from uh, this guy, Corey Turner from NPR in New York. And he flew out and he said, I want to see this thing. So, I did a picture with him in front of the shark and we talked about it. And so that's really the physical shark. Well, it was deteriorating. It looked terrible. They put phony wooden teeth on it. A couple of years later, I got a call from somebody uh, from the uh, uh, motion picture museum and they wanted to, you know, buy it and use it. I said, okay, but it needs tremendous repair. So, a good friend of mine, uh, Greg Nicotero, who does The Walking Dead, he directs them, and, but he has a company that builds all these prosthetics, mm-hmm. and, and he's been a big Jaws fan. We've been friends for years. So his company took it and restored it. And um, anyway, it's restored, and it's going to go into the museum once they got a place for the museum. And uh, incidentally, I'm not pushing my book, but in my new book, uh, there is they show that shark being redone for the museum. So it, mm. it's physically the same shark, uh, but it's not the one with all the mechanics because that one didn't exist. Uh, we had to rebuild it for Jaws 2. Uh, we rebuilt them for Jaws 2, oh, wow. and then they sort of disappeared for that. And then Jaws 3, I made one that was uh, 10 feet bigger, a 35-foot shark, or half of it, uh, because it has to 
that has somebody in it, so it had to be bigger. Yes. But that's sort of the uh, the shark stories, you know, of where it is and what's happened to it. Yeah, that's amazing. So, like, it's so funny that, that that's what kind of how things went down and everybody was, you know, mad with you for being things over budget. And, and who would have known that it would have done so well? Um, because I mean, back then it, it, it was a, it was a record setter for, for in the box well, office, right? And then... yeah, let me tell you uh, what happened, Anthony. Um, when we did the shark, you know, you, you, how it worked, it had all these valves and stuff. So when we were shooting it, it, it made all these weird sounds. <laughs> and then after the take, Stephen would say, cut, everybody laughed at the silly thing. Oh, so, well, add John Williams' music and all that, and it wasn't so silly. Yeah. <laughs> but when we had had the first screening in L.A. area, we had all the executives there, Lou Wasserman, who was the head of the studio, and you know everybody that was involved. And so I was concerned, as people involved with the shark, that the people were going to laugh when they saw it. Yeah. You know, when when it comes up and Shatter says, we need a bigger boat, we thought, oh, they're going to laugh. They didn't laugh. They screamed and they screamed and they, and uh, so we had five huge screams, as I recall. The studio executives immediately, I think they went off into the men's room and they said, we got to rethink the release of this picture. <laughs> so instead of six or seven theaters, they released it the biggest release in the summer ever, which was like 450 theaters, yep. and uh, which now they did thousands, but 450 was huge. And uh, by the into the first week, it already paid for what it cost. You know, I mean, it was going to cost 400 and, uh, four and a half billion. I think it ended up seven and a half. So we we're double the budget, budget or whatever. Yeah, but just not first weekend. It just surprised everybody. You know, uh, well, it didn't surprise us that it was good. It just we were concerned about the reaction mm-hmm. of. Um, but I have stories now. Let me tell you, because this is the uh, 45th anniversary, yep. and it doesn't stop. I have, I get letters and uh, would you sign this? Would you draw a shark thing? Would you do blah blah blah? But but early in February. I, before I got a call from Carl Godley, who wrote uh, the screenwriter. Yep. He said, Joe, you won't believe this. I just came back from New York for a reading of a new play called Bruce, which is the name of the shark, about the making of Jaws. Oh. And I, they flew me up to Seattle. This is the first week of, uh, of February. Uh, and I was there for three days to watch uh, about... 20 people reading this script uh, of this play. It's not Jaws, but it's the making of Jaws and the preparation. And you have all these characters. You have my character who sings and how I'm going to make it. And Stephen saying, oh, this is going to drive me crazy. And I, the third day, they had the whole read-through without uh, a break. And I thought, this is amazing. There's so many Jaws fans. They're going to love this because it really, the music's quite good. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's about this incredible, difficult project of making this shark with this very young director who was 28 years old. And, uh, you know, and actors saying, 
Dreyfus is saying, oh, I don't want to do it. I've got all these things. No, you don't. And we'll get Schneider. <laughs> Who's Schneider? Oh, did you see uh, French Connection? And then somebody says, oh, I don't like French movies. Oh, no, this guy is great. It's not, you know. And it was, uh, it blew me away, uh, I, I must say. So this is supposed to open in, uh, if the virus is all gone, in New Jersey uh, in, uh, I think, October of this year. Okay, that's amazing. We'll have to Pretty interesting. For that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. really interesting. Sorry, I've been so quiet. I just, I love these stories. Yeah, <laughs> I know you kind of feel like in awe just to hear that there's so much going on in behind the scenes of uh, and, and stuff you don't know about or hope to hear about. So it's kind of nice to yeah. get a little sneak well, peek it, into something. Yeah, it, it, it's just kind of, it's, it's just sort of funny because I've been involved with movies for a long time, different movies. But this what movie doesn't go away. I mean, it's just constantly there, the people that are involved uh, about... Uh, <sighs> Jaws stuff, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yep. No, it's absolutely amazing. All right. Well, uh, Matty G, do you want to get into our second part of the show and start with our rapid-fire questions for Joe? Absolutely, I do. Excellent. So for our listeners who are tuning in for the first time, uh, next uh, is section is our rapid-fire questions, where Matty G will ask Joe uh, 20 quick questions, and Joe just has to give us the first thing that comes to his mind. There's no right or wrong. It's just uh, some good old fun. Rapid-fire questions. <laughs> Now, now, Joe, they're not super, super fast, so don't worry if you, you uh, want to take a minute okay, to think yeah. about it. <laughs> so, all right, cool. Well, let's get to know you here, Joe. So, uh, first question, what made-up word would you register into the English language? Oh, Kambaba. Okay, uh, cool. What's the scariest dream that you can remember? I... Um... I can't remember a scary dream. Oh, that's good. You're having a good night's sleep then. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What What superpower do you wish you had? I wish uh, I could be a better writer uh, because everything with me is visual. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what's your earliest childhood memory? Uh, breaking my leg. Um, I was born with a club foot. I always had a brace and when they took the brace off, I was running and I, I fell off the stairs and I broke my leg. Oh, oh no. damn. That's Did you get ice cream though out of it? <laughs> yeah. My mother had to carry me to the doctor. I mean, it was down the street. I could remember that and how stupid after, you know, I had this thing with my leg that I did a stupid thing and jumped off the stairs. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so happy. Excited. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, what makes you the happiest? I think just my family. Uh, I've got two wonderful daughters and a great wife. And uh, I think uh, I started a family late in my life. Uh, didn't have kids until in my mid-50s. And uh, so uh, they're in their 20s and I'm in my 80s. But it's cool. Beautiful. Hey, great answer. Family is really important, especially in these times. Yeah. Um, if you could learn a foreign language, which one would you pick? Well, I would like to, I was born with my parents were immigrants from Portugal. Hmm. And uh, so I learned a, a little bit of Portuguese. I would like to have that language back. I went to Portugal and, uh, and I love Brazilian music and that's all Portuguese. So I, I would like to, uh, 
Yeah, very have cool. that language down. Yeah, that's cool. I work with a few folks from uh, that are Portuguese, so it's uh, it's interesting oh, really? hearing yeah. them talk. It's a nice different language, language isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not. It's softer. Like, okay, my mm-hmm. name is Alves. In, in, in Spanish, it would be Alves. Yep. So uh, Spanish is sharper, and there's a lot more oos and ages. And if you listen to the Brazilian music, you get a lot of that softness. You know. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Nice. Yeah. What uh, in your lifetime? What was your favorite decade to live in? Well, of course, now, but I have to say the 70s when I did Jaws 1, 2, and uh, Close Encounters, and, uh, uh, yeah, and I liked the music a lot. Uh, yeah. And so I, w- I would say, other than living now, I would say the 70s. Very cool. Um, do and they were great for movies, joke? too. Yeah, Pardon? They were. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you have a go-to joke? Not offhand, no. Okay. Hey, that's Sorry. cool. Some people yep. do, some people don't. Um, what was the first movie that ever made you cry? The first movie that made me cry? Oh, gosh, I have to really think hard on that. It would probably be Bambi. Okay, yep. yeah, yeah. Yeah, you remember when Bambi's mother dies? Yeah. Yep. Gosh. Yep, yeah. yep, totally. Uh, do you believe in aliens? That's an interesting thing. I, I, you know, I did Close Encounters. I, I did a say, lot of careful. research. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I did a lot of research. I talked to a lot of people who had seen the aliens, and I got a lot of stuff that pretty much proves that they do exist. Excellent. You know what? We haven't had a single person that we've asked that to that has said no yet. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah, but... well, uh, you know, Jimmy Carter saw them, and, and I read a book, uh, 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 close encounter. Uh, so, I mean, every uh, uh, UFO scientific inquiry, uh, Alan Hynek's book uh, that was the basis for the, uh, close encounters. So, there's a lot of good information there. Anyway, Amazing. I'm sorry. Yeah. To, no, that's okay. You know, for someone coming to work on uh, encounters of the third kind or close encounters, that's uh, that's really good. I was thinking, if you said no, I think I would have really, really laughed. The fact <laughs> that you said yes, uh, you know, it really affirms things. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> If if somebody gave you a hundred million right now, how would you spend it? Um, that's that's an interesting thing because I'm sort of comfortable. Um, I have a house that I like. I have a house in Mexico, a small one in the ocean. Uh, I would probably make sure my daughters uh, had two really nice homes. I used to have a Ferrari. Maybe I would get another one. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, yeah. I just drive an old uh, a new Chevy now. Mm-hmm. And I think I would give a lot of away. I think uh, there's a lot of people that could really use it. Yeah, especially Well, right you now. just remember your good pals, Matt and Anthony, here. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, what exotic animal would you domesticate if you could? Interesting. I've been looking at exotic animals. I, uh, you know, oh gosh, uh, I I was thinking about uh, ko- koalas. Oh, okay. cool! I love yeah, koalas. So That's cute. an awesome answer. Yeah, yeah. I guess they're so cute, cuddly. You know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like That's... a I'd like a koala. That'd be really. Cool. I would totally go koala too. I'm with you there, brother. Yep. Yeah. Um, what uh, what's your pet peeves? What what gets on your nerves? Oh God! I have to get uh, <laughs> the president. <A> scroll. <laughs> <laughs> Just summed up in one word. It's great. 
Yep. Uh, <laughs> amazing. Um, what's the last thing that you did just for yourself? The last thing I did for myself for for my health or for my or just just anything uh, just for just just for yourself. When was Joe time? Well, Joe is 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 right now. I was just drawing some. Uh, somebody wanted me to draw some sharks. They're going to sell them, and and I drew an, an illustration of that, and uh, do my sculptures. Uh, yeah, so I, I pretty much uh, have a pattern. Uh, I re- I exercise. I, I go hiking. My wife is a real hiker. She climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, oh, wow. uh, so she oh, wow. really hikes. I just walk up the hill, you know, a couple miles and back. Uh, yeah, but my day good, is though. pretty well, uh, you know, doing my artwork, doing my sculptures. Pretty happy with that. Good. Good. That's great. Um, what holiday would you erase from the calendar if you could? Oh, well, that's interesting, isn't it? What holiday? <laughs> um, We've heard a lot think. of answers, so there is no wrong one. Yep. <laughs> um, well, I don't think they need Father's Day, but uh, that's not really a holiday. Uh, let, let me see. Um April Fools? No, that's not a holiday. Uh, yeah, I could, yeah, I can't, you could use those. I, They're I technically on the calendar. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yep. Cool. We'll take that. All right. All right. What uh, What do you do when you can't fall asleep? Oh, I take. Um, uh, I, I do take metaphor. It's a little sort of pill relaxer. Okay. Thing. Okay. Yeah. Nice. That take puts a you right out. Those at night. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, yeah, yeah, it, uh, yeah, after a few minutes, I'm, I'm sort of gone, so I, <laughs> nice, I like it, um, what activity makes you totally lose track of time? Oh, well, let me say, when I'm doing my sculptures, and a lot of them, that you do them in wood, mm-hmm. and, uh, you have to be really careful, because you lose saws, band saws and stuff, if you don't really totally, focus you could cut your fingers off so i when i'm there cutting wood and and making these new sculptures and stuff i i have no idea i'm just gone you know yeah Yeah, that's awesome you know a quick quick interrupt on that when i was in grade seven uh, we had the old uh, wood shop that was still available and uh, one of the kids actually cut off all his fingers off the bandsaw when we were there so it was uh, oh isn't that terrible yep in grade seven this kid lost all his four fingers uh on that did they reattach him yeah yeah they um the 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 teacher picked him up instantly hit the uh the emergency stop button grabbed the kid grabbed the fingers ran out and they uh they had them back on yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. great. Crazy. Yeah, you 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 don't uh, you don't want to uh, you got to focus. Well, you got to focus on that. I used to race cars too, formula cars. Yeah. And uh, you got to pretty much focus on that too, or you you go off the track or hit a wall. So it's good to see uh, you got some good concentration. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 You know, this is the thing about driving. Yeah, whether it's Formula One or whatever, uh, it's not crazy. It's focus. It's yeah. really focus. If you're going 200 miles an hour. Uh, you don't think crazy. You just you just gotta really focus. Can I pass that guy? I can't pass him now. Maybe I'll try. You know, blah blah blah. Yeah. That kind of thing. Right on. That's cool. Um, what's the best thing you've ever eaten? Oh wow, gosh, uh, that is so hard to say because I used to cook a lot, but now I've got to vegetarians in my family here. <laughs> um, and I've traveled all over. Uh, 
you know, I, I would say, I hate to say this, my, my daughter's going to kill me, but I had some <laughs> rabbit in, in, in France, which is fantastic. Okay, I, right so I grew up like with a hunting, fishing family and we used to yeah. eat rabbit and I totally know what you mean. If it's done right. Holy moly! It can be it's so good. It's the highest protein and very little fat. Yeah, and and my mother used to cook it, pretty much. For my father would raise him, and we would eat the rabbit, and he would sell the the, the skins. But he never let us when we were kids play with them because they weren't toys or pets; yep. they were Revenue. food. Yep. Yeah, food and rabbit. But I grew up during the war, so you know we had to be really careful. Because he was a rabbit. We had, we had our own chickens and and stuff. So uh, yeah, it was a different time. Yeah. Hmm. All right. And uh, have you ever had a crush on a fictional character? And if so, who? Oh, fictional doesn't have to be cartoon. It can be just a character in a movie or TV show. Or... TV show. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm. I'm thinking, but then there's some of the people I knew. That was. <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah, I guess you. It's hard when you. <laughs> I mean. Uh, I, yeah, if, yeah. I had a neighbor that was a, a, a songwriter, and uh, and she would have Linda Ronstadt over and people like that, and, and they were all pretty impressive, you know. Yeah. yeah. All right. You know, I thought about I've I've been thinking about that question a lot lately, Maddie, especially after uh, the whole Miss Frizzle uh, comment. Um, <laughs> I, I I'm gonna say yeah. I I remembered uh, being young and loving I Gina G I Dream of Jeannie. Jeannie was just okay. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah, that was just great. Was, yeah, I I I I, I could go. You know, uh, Nicole Kidman did some pretty interesting things. She yeah, was pretty yeah, attractive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but of course, I go back to Marilyn Monroe. You know, mm-hmm. she was still around, yeah. and Can't go wrong that was pretty me. impressive. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Very cool. All right, and the last question for you. What's your favorite podcast that you've been on in the last 12 hours? <laughs> oh, it has to be this one. Hey, oh, right on. Answer. No hesitation. <laughs> we like that. <laughs> yeah. well, that's excellent. Um, you know, we're kind of finishing off things here, Joe. I, I can't thank you enough for all your time. Uh, one thing I want, I want to bring up, actually, you had mentioned uh, that you, uh, you've got a book out now. Oh, yeah. Let me tell you. Uh, there's a book. Dennis Prince wrote it, uh, and it's called Joel's Designing Jaws. And it's at, you can get it at Amazon. Okay. And it, it, it has every storyboard I did uh, for Close Encounter, for Jaws. Okay. It has every illustration, the ones I talked about in, in, in the beginning before mm-hmm. Stephen was involved. It has technical drawings. It has the backside of the shark where you see all the mechanics. Mm-hmm. And it goes step by step. It's, it's, it's not me so much, but it's how... And I, and I wrote to Stephen, I talked to Stephen recently, uh, it, it's not about directing or acting, it's about the preparation uh, for making the movie and, and how we got there. So you could get that uh, on Amazon. Also on my website, joealvesmovieart.com, you can also buy copies of the storyboards from Jaws, the illustration from Jaws, and uh, anything you know that I've done. I, 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 saw, I used to do a lot of shows, we're not doing shows now, you know, where I would sign these things. And so if people are interested in the movie, I would recommend going to the website, joelsmovieart.com. 
But the book, uh, uh, Titan bought the book, and they they did a really great job. Uh, and uh, you could get it. It's not that I think it's only twenty six bucks uh, on uh, on Amazon. That sounds amazing, and uh, I think there'd be a lot of uh, great illustrations, a lot of interesting uh, details in there. Uh, before oh we, yeah, before we let you go, yeah. and and actually for our listeners who are on the road and listening to this right now, we'll make sure that we post uh, those links up under uh, Joe's uh, profile in our guest section of our webpage. And um, before we do let you go, we do have a question from our last guest, uh, actor Eric Morris. And uh, he wanted to know, where was Jaws actually filmed? So that, that ocean scene and everything, where was that? Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard. Okay, so he, he was always curious. He was a big fan of Jaws, and uh, he said but he could never remember or he never really found out where it was where it was filmed, so yeah, we cool. shot the whole movie there, and and, and uh, the ocean, and Chrissy's getting you know pulled around, and shark getting there. So it was pretty much we shot just some. The only thing we shot away from there was a tank, the underwater stuff. We shot that in a tank, it used to be the MGM tank, mm-hmm. but pretty much uh, it was it was all uh, Martha's Vineyard. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah, we can't uh, thank you enough for taking some uh, time out of your day and uh, being on our show. Okay. All right. Thanks, Joe. You're awesome. It was fun. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank Uh, you, guys. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So this is a good time for us to pitch our social media. You could get us on our website. Thefap.ca. On uh, Twitter. Is Thefap4. You can get us on Instagram. Is the Fab Podcast? Don't forget our Facebook, the Freaking Awesome Podcast, and uh, you can always reach out via email, the Fab Podcast at gmail dot com. I'm on the air. We on the air. We got this podcast. Ah, uh, uh, not again. Wicked sweet. <laughs>